I will be reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. This is the word of the Lord. Please, oh, I forgot to ask you to stand so you can just stay seated. <laughs> stay seated. Thanks, Emily. All right. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, keep those open to Genesis 12, um, and uh, uh, we're going to be we're going to look at those nine verses today, and I think it's going to be good. So, um, before I get going here, uh, let me say this: If you're visiting us for the first time, welcome, welcome to Tapford. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, on the back of all the chairs, you can find a welcome card. And if this is your first time here, would you just take a sec to fill that card out for us? And then uh, when you leave later on today, just stop by the welcome desk in the foyer and drop those cards off there. And we have a gift for you uh, when you do that. Just a simple way for us to, uh, to say welcome to our church. We're so glad that you are here. Okay, so Genesis uh, 12. We are uh, in the middle of a summer sermon series that's just a fun word to say, that we have simply called The Great Story. We're going to be in this series for 14 weeks. We've been in it. This is week number four. And basically, with this series, we've been trying to answer just a couple questions. Number one is this. The Bible tells us one story. So that begs the question, what is the great story of the Bible? And question number two, since the Bible is God's self-revelation, then what is the story of God as we are told in Scripture? And here is what we've been doing for the past few weeks. We've been taking these large sections of the Bible, these big stories of the Bible, and we've been uh, seeing them and plugging them into the overarching storyline of Scripture. Now, the Bible's storyline could be summarized with four big words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, the, uh, three weeks ago, we covered the story of creation in Genesis 1. Two weeks ago, we covered the story of the fall in Genesis 3. Last week, Pastor Glenn covered the story of Noah and the ark in Genesis 6 through 9. And basically, what we have seen, our goal is to see how these stories, creation, fall, and flood, all point us to Jesus. And listen, the big idea for today is not much different. All that I'm trying to do is add one more thing. How does creation fall, flood, and the call of Abraham, Abraham's call, how does this point us to Christ? Pretty simple. Now, something interesting is going to happen in our text today. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are basically telling us the story of humankind as a whole. In those 11 chapters, we met God. We saw how he created the world. And we saw that God is a God who is constantly bringing order into the chaos of our world. We met the people that God created, image bearers of God who are meant to reflect him to the world. We met God's enemy, 
the devil, who is waging war against God to unseat him as Lord of the universe and who is uh, tirelessly uh, trying to convince you and me to, uh, to, to, to believe that we can take God from the center of our lives and instead move ourselves into the center. We saw how this battle between man and sin will continue throughout the storyline of Scripture. And we saw that sin leads us to fractured relationships, conflict, evil, abuse, death, violence, power grabs. And ultimately, sin will lead to a whole new civilization called Babylon that has completely redefined evil as good. Now listen, that is not much different than 21st century Seattle. So God acts, and he scatters this corrupt civilization. And here, the story of Scripture takes this important twist. So we've been seeing the story of mankind as a whole, and today we will zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of this very corrupt civilization called Babylon, whose names are Abraham and Sarah. And God will promise to them that from their family will come a new nation with another chance to make the right choice and to bring order into the chaos of the world. And if they succeed, this is going to open a new way forward forward for the rest of humanity. And the rest of the pages of scripture is about what happens with this family. And because Abraham's huge place in the story of God, we're going to take two weeks uh, on him. We're going to look at Abraham's call today, and next week we're going to look at Abraham's sacrifice, which uh, should be good as well. So you guys good with that? All right, let's do a quick little bit of background and context here. Let me introduce you to somebody that we all know as Father Abraham, okay? Uh, all you know that he had many sons, and uh, just a little piece of trivia, I first heard that song when I was like 17 years old. <laughs> kind of unbelievable, right? Well, there you go. Well, his, his, uh, his, uh, uh, his name was, his birth name was Abram which means exalted father or my father is exalted. And God will later change his name from Abram to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. And of all the people that have ever lived, I would argue that this guy, Abraham, is one of the most important people in history other than Jesus. This guy is, uh, he's going to be the father of God's nation. He is what we could call a patriarch, which is somebody through whom a new way of life comes, a new family comes, a new nation comes, a new movement comes, a new community of people come. His, his life, the life of Abraham is like this example, this, this model of faith. And he is a man who all other people who are in relationship to God, we are in one way or another pattern after how his life went. And this guy is so incredibly important that he will be the, the main figure in the book of Genesis from chapter 11 through his death in chapter 25. His name will appear more than 300 times in your Bible. He is mentioned in 11 out of 27 books in the New Testament. He is mentioned in all four Gospels, and Jesus talks about him all the time. In the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, uh, which lists all the great heroes of faith from the Old Testament, most people get one verse. Moses, who is the author of Genesis, gets six verses, and Abraham gets 12. This dude is a big deal. So we have to see why. So just for a few minutes, let me have you flip to Genesis 11 verses 27 through 32, and we have to check out abrahamsancestry.com, okay? So if you've got your Bible, go to uh, Genesis 11 verses 27 through 32, and this is what the Bible says. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. 
Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this, again, is Abram's ancestry.com. Verse 27 of chapter 11 introduces us to Abram's dad. Terah. And you've got to know a couple things about this dude right here. This guy is a godless man. This guy is an unbeliever. He is not a godly man. Joshua 24 verse 2 will say to us that he, Terah, worshipped false gods. He worshipped other gods. He was not a believer in the one true God, Yahweh. He was a pagan. He was a sinner. He lived in darkness. That's who he was. Now, the reason why I'm telling you all this, which might not be a big deal, is because here, here's, here's some truth. In Abraham's family background and in Abraham's uh, family of origin, there is great hope for us. Because the reality is this, that you don't have to have these fantastic, perfect parents. You don't have to have a great family story. You don't have to have the right pedigree and the perfect good and sound doctrine and theology. Things can literally most often begin with us being a total mess. Chaos. And then God comes and he grabs a hold of us. That's the story of Abraham. God gets a hold of this guy. He, he, he sovereignly calls him and, and grabs a hold of them. And he is a mess. He is uh, uh, coming out of Babylon. And God is doing the work in Abram's life. He is, uh, his dad is Terah, a pagan guy worshiping false gods. And God chooses Abram and he transforms his life. Just like he has transformed our life. Verse 28, we learn where Abram is from. He is from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in Babylon. And what God is going to do now, he's going to go into enemy territory, and he's going to pick Abraham, this pagan Babylonian. He's going to go and grab one person and love them and change them. And through them, he is going to become a missionary to this new tribe of people. So Abram is this pagan, unbelieving, Babylonian with bad family origins. And it's funny that we say it like that because oftentimes we think what? This guy, this guy's a dude, you know? Abram's a big, godly, spiritual hero of the faith. And even though that is true, the reality is that this guy had a chaotic, messy beginning to his journey just like I did, just like many of you guys did. So in this story, we've got great hope. God can use anyone. God can change anyone. God can heal anyone. God can bring restoration. God can uh, bring, uh, take what was broken and put it back together. So here we see in uh, Abraham's beginnings, we see God is going to do his thing again. He's going to bring order into a chaotic and messy life. And I'm not sure about you, but that gives me at least great hope. Verse 29 tells us that he marries this gal named Sarai. And verse 30 tells us that she was barren and could have no children. So this story goes from bad to worse. This is like the perfect picture of what hopelessness might look like. Abraham is in a terrible place, Babylon. He's got a dad who is a pagan, unbelieving, godless guy. His wife is barren. She can't have children. So we look at this family and none of us would pick them to be the guys who would change the world. None of us would say, those are the people that I want on my team. Abraham is just this simple, regular dude with lots of messiness in his life and a lot of chaos around him. And here is the thing that is very similar to a lot of our lives right now. And God can meet you there and use you and restore you and bring healing. Now, 
Verse 31 tells us that Abraham and Sarai planted roots in Haran. And that basically is uh, Abraham's ancestry.com. Now let's look at our actual text in Genesis 12. But before we dive into Genesis 12, let me say a couple things. Genesis 1 through 11 is really about God calling creation into existence. Genesis 12 and forward is really about God calling men and women into covenant with him. And this word is a big deal. Covenant. Uh, Peter Gentry said this. This is on the screen, I believe. Uh, He said this. Covenants are the backbone of the biblical story. He also said this, a covenant could be broadly defined as a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. So let's just quickly look at why covenants are going to be such a big deal throughout the biblical storyline. Genesis 1 through 11 really are a series of human attempts to deal with the sin problem. We still do that today. How can we solve the sin problems and the effects of the fall apart from God? We do that, don't we? And in Genesis 12, God shows up with his solution to the sin problem. And what is his solution? God is going to show up and he is going to speak. You're going to hear God speak to Abram throughout Scripture, we have seen God speak to Adam in the garden. Then he spoke to Cain when he sinned. Then he spoke to Noah. And God has not spoken since he spoke to Noah, which is a long period of silence. Throughout the history of the world, there are oftentimes large gaps in between God speaking. But the beautiful thing is that in our story today, God will speak. Remember, Abram did not have like a, like, a, like a Christian background, you know. He didn't go to church. He didn't have the podcast. He didn't have the blogs. He didn't know all that you and I know. This is his historical timeline. Genesis 3, human beings sin. God makes a promise. There is a son who will come, born of a woman who's going to crush Satan and deliver people from sin. Though Satan would do bodily harm to him, the son would conquer. That was Jesus. Roughly 2,000 years later, Abraham is born. Here in Genesis 11, and then our further promises are given to Abraham about the coming of Jesus, the son of God. 2,000 years later, Jesus shows up, he lives, he dies, he rises again and returns to heaven. And now, how far back are we on this side of Jesus' ascension? About 2,000 years. So we see history breaking down in these 2,000-year chunks from Adam to Abraham, Abraham to Jesus, and Jesus to us. And the interesting thing is that God will speak to Abraham, and God is still speaking today. He's speaking to people just like Abraham, sinners that come from not perfect families in terrible places, worshiping the wrong gods, usually ourselves. And God will speak to people like them, which again gives us hope. And every time you and I pick up the Bible, God's word, he speaks to us. When we open up this book, it's like that day when God spoke to Abraham. God can speak to us at any time, day, or night. All you got to do is open up the scriptures. So Abraham gets spoken to by God. He doesn't have a, you know, a Christian spiritual background, no church, no Bible, none of the stuff you and I have. And God does this wonderful, sovereign miracle and speaks to him, and he still speaks to us today. Now look at Genesis 12. We're going to blast through Genesis 12 real quick. Genesis 12 verse 1 begins like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Now, we have no clue what Abram was doing. He's just kind of there, and God speaks. God shows up unannounced. No appointment, no Google calendar. God just speaks. Abram. God is sovereign. He is free. He does as he pleases. He always knows exactly what he is doing, as opposed to us, which we oftentimes have no clue how God is working. And he is the God who surprises us. And God says, Abram, leave your country. Go from here. Now, God does not build a whole bunch of rapport, not a lot of relationship building, just the facts. Go. Leave. Leave your country. Now, how many of you, if God said this to you, you'd be like, I'm good. I know America's not perfect, but come on. You know, like, I'm okay. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my stuff here. I've got a good, you know, two weeks vacation. Uh, I'm all right. So then God says, leave your country, leave your land, and leave your kindred, your father's house. Leave, leave your family, leave your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your friends. You know, all these people, leave them, everybody who is related to you. And listen, I am a Mexican. I, that is hard. I value family as a big deal. Doing this is hard. I know that by experience. And then God says, and go to the land I'm going to show you. Go, leave your family, go to this undisclosed location. And you got to know Abram is 75. He's what I would call the seasoned saint, you know? And he's about to go on this crazy, wild journey. That's a lot to ask from a 75-year-old man. The first thing, leave. Leave your family, everybody you know, everything you've ever known, leave them. And God clearly says, this is everything you're going to give up. And what God doesn't say is, here's where you're going. And God does that to us, doesn't he? How many times have you been praying for direction? Lord, would you, would you show me? Help, me? help me know what I'm supposed to do and, and what does God do? Crickets. Silence. God, what, what am I supposed to do with fill in the blank? And God, in, in his godness, just kind of says to us, trust me. I got you. So here God is kind of saying that to Abram. Dude, I got you. Just, just trust me. Grab my hand. Let's, let's go at this together. Where, where are we going, God? Don't worry about that. Just stay close to me. Believe me. Trust me. I will lead you. And you got to remember that this dude has no previous experience with this one true God. This guy is a pagan. He worships all kinds of false gods. He doesn't know the real God. This is his introduction. He doesn't know the scriptures. He doesn't know the things that you and I know. But here is his response. He trusted. He had faith. He believed. Simple belief. You don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to know everything. All you got to know is that when God speaks, you need to obey him. You've got to trust him. You've got to believe him. So Abraham does this as our example, as our model. He believes God. He trusts God. And just like he believed by faith, so we too believe by faith in Jesus. Now, listen, I said this by a kind of uh, passing a second ago, but listen, I really am, uh, I, I, like I said a second ago, I, I was born and raised in Mexico. Family is a big deal to uh, my, my culture. And at 17 years old, God said to me when I became a Christian that I was going to come to the United States. And I left my country at 19. And it was hard. I spent about 10 years uh, in Texas. I went to Bible school. I got married. My first son was born there. I was a youth pastor there. And we had a pretty good deal going on. And then God said to me, you need to quit your job and you need to move with your in-laws in Oregon. Now, if there's any in-laws in the room, listen, I love you and I respect you. But that was not in my 10-year plan, you know? <laughs> Like, move in with your in-laws about, I was 28-year-old, you know, whatever, 
married, I had a son. Not what I would, what I, you know, uh, saw in, in, in my dreams. But I did, because God said so. And then uh, five years later, God said to come to this little town in South Seattle called Burien. And here we are. So listen, I, I, I never had all the dots completely figured out. But what I can tell you is that when God speaks, we, we act, we believe him, we, we obey him, we follow him, and we stick close to him. And he will care for his kids. As a good father, he has cared for me and my family, and I know that he, if he's done that for me, he can do it for you. He did it for Abram. And the story goes on here. God speaks and God here will say in uh, chapter 12, he's going to say five different times, I will. Listen to this. I will show you. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. God says, I will, I will, I will. Now, as we have seen in Genesis 3, when the man and woman sin, what did they say? I, I, me, me, the woman whom you get, us, us, us. But here, the answer to the sin problem, the answer to the fall of man, is not the I of the man, it's not the I of the woman, but it is the I will of God. We cannot fix ourselves. The answer is God saying, I will do this for you. So God will counteract the I dialogue of man and the woman in sin with the I will dialogue of redemption. What God says is I will, and these are a series of emphatic declarations and promises from God. Remember we talked about covenants briefly earlier, which are these binding promises. And here is what happens. God will make these binding, emphatic declarations and promises, and he will always be faithful to come through with his end of the deal. Now, what happens is who doesn't come through? We don't come through. But thankfully, he always does. So God makes these promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, can you imagine Abram looks over at Sarai and, she go, and he goes, how is this going to work out, man? I mean, seriously, we, we are not most likely to have tons and tons of kids. She, she can't have children. But what you see is oftentimes in our lives throughout the story of scriptures that God works through impossible circumstances so that it is certain that it was he who accomplished his promises. So God says, I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great, which is ironic because why did God scatter the Babylonians? If you know anything about Bible history. They wanted to be a great nation. They wanted to have a great name. And God says, no. You want that without me. That is sin. That is pride. So he comes to Abram, who is this sinful, pagan, Babylonian. And he says, I am going to do this for you. Not you, but I. And so why? Why is God going to do these things? The text tells us. I will make a great nation, verse 2, and I will bless you and make your name great so that your, you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to give you things so that you can in turn bless those around you. Why is God going to make Abram's name great? So that Abram can go and make the name of God great, not his own name. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into this great nation so that you will be a blessing. And this is really interesting because this could really be the beginning of what we have come to understand as Christian generosity and sharing and benevolence and giving. God says to Abram, listen, open up your hands. I'm going to fill them. Give it away. I will bless you so that you will then in turn go and bless those that are around you. 
Verse 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. So God says, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will keep my eye on you. I will go with you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, from your family, people from every nation and ethnicity will be blessed, which is a big deal. So God makes these, these promises, these binding promises, which sound crazy. And what is Abram's response? Does he argue? Does he say, let me, let me, let me go check in with my buddies. Let me, let me, let me, give me a sec to, to figure this out. There's none of that. The Bible just says that Abraham just went. He obeyed. He, he, he does. He, he, he goes and he does what he was told. That's obedience. God says, go. You say, all right. Verse 4, so Abraham went. That's it, simple. As the Lord told him. Now, in our family, we tell our kids this. Obedience is doing what you are told when you are told with a good attitude. Now, does it work like that all the time? It doesn't, especially with my kids. But, but that's obedience. When God speaks, we just do what he says. So Abraham just left. He went as God told him, and he took Lot with him, and he was 75 years old as he set out from Haran. He took his wife, his nephew, his possessions, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, let me just say something for just a few moments here, and then we'll keep going here. There is great debate about, in verse 5, about this line that says, and the people that they had acquired. Great debate about this. Listen, there are good arguments on one side, good arguments on the other side. I would argue that you should go and look this up yourself and figure it out for yourself. One commentary that I did read this week is making the point or the argument that these people that they acquired in that land were not Abraham's slaves, but that they were instead new believers in this one true God, which is an interesting deal. So Abraham is a non-believer. He's a pagan in Babylon. God shows up and speaks to Abraham. I'm going to do all these things for you. Obey me. Hi, I am Yahweh, the God of the universe who created all things, the one true God. Here I am. Nice to meet you. Then what does Abram do if this interpretation is correct? He goes to tell people, yo, listen, I just met God. These gods that we've been worshiping, they're, they're, they're not the real deal. I just literally heard and, and, and met the one true God, Yahweh. You've got to come. Come with me. Let's follow him. We've got to do what he says. Get all this stuff. Let's go. And so now, Abram becomes the first great disciple maker. He becomes the first, the great first gospel sharer in history. And these people now, as soon as he meets God, he goes and tells somebody. Pagan man with godless people in a godless dark place doing godless things. And God shows up, interrupts his life, and God speaks to him. And he meets God, and he runs home to tell everybody, and revival breaks out. And yo, listen, I've been praying that this might happen in South Seattle. When we hear God speak through his word, that our hearts would ignite with passion and love for God, that we may go and be disciple makers and tell people about the beauty and the greatness of God. May that happen here. Verse 6, we're wrapping up here soon. Abram then traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites lived in that land. Now, this place is interesting. Shechem is an evil, dark place. And this great tree of Morah was the place where they worshipped these pagan gods and offered worship to other gods. 
So people could say, especially, you know, people would say this definitely in, in Tejas, the Bible Belt. Why would a man of God go to a dark place? What is he doing there? He doesn't belong in dark places. So what is Abraham doing there? We can probably infer that he's doing as he's done before. You guys got to meet the one true God. He goes to this dark, wicked, sinful place because that is where God's people are supposed to go. They're supposed to bring light into the darkness. And if someone friend has told you that you as a Christian should not hang out with sinners or go to dark places, listen, I'm telling you, go there. Just don't sin and light up the darkness. What I love this, I love that the Lord appeared to him here in Shechem. God loves it that there are wicked and sinful, evil people all around because that is his whole deal. He is about forgiving sin and changing lives. That's what God does. He brings order into the chaos of our world and of our lives. So God shows up. Previously, he spoke to Abram. Here he shows up. God appears there and he speaks. God shows up in Shechem, this dark, evil, sinful place. And Jesus will do the very same thing that God did just here. He will come to the sick, to the evil, to the broken, to the wounded, and to this dark world. Jesus gets his hands dirty. He gets his feet dirty. God goes into dark places. God goes after dark people. God fixes sin. He's not scared of our evil. He can handle it. He is the great God. He is the God who doesn't stand off in the distance and says, oh, that's gross, yucky. He gets in there. He can handle it. He goes right to the heart of this pagan worship center and God speaks. And here is what God says in that place. To your offspring, I will give this land. So what does Abraham do? What would you do? God shows up, speaks to you, you're seeing God. He shows up. You're having this encounter with God. What is the right, appropriate response? Look at verse, the end of verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Abram meets God. So he says, The best thing I know to do is I got to worship. I have got to worship. I've got to build this altar. I've got to celebrate. I've got to pray. We've got to worship right here in Shechem, in this dark and evil and sinful place. Why? Because there are people right there, just like Abraham was. And God is doing something with Abraham. And God will maybe and will do something with those kinds of people. And he's still doing that today. Verse 7, you got to notice this. To your offspring, singular, I will give this land, the promised land. The text does not say uh, seeds, plural, but into your seed, singular, meaning one person, same as in Genesis 3.15, Jesus. So the promise of God to Abraham is this, that Jesus will come. And then the story wraps up here. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel. Bethel is a city that is mentioned, uh, the second most mentioned in the Old Testament, second to Jerusalem. And, and, and there he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. He says this, and he, Abraham says this, I've got news that Jesus is coming. The best thing I've got to do, the only thing that there is to do is build an altar in worship. Call on the name of the Lord. Cry out to God. Thank God. Pray to God. Sing to God. Raise our hands. Raise our voices to this one true God. We're going to call on this God, Yahweh. He is excited. 75-year-old Abraham in his whole life was transformed. Why? Because God spoke to him. God called him. And God is revealing his plan 
that Jesus would come. So that is Genesis 12. Now, let me wrap up in two minutes. What I want to do is make a big deal of Jesus. Because I did say earlier that I want to show you how creation, fall, flood, and now Abraham's call all point us to Christ. So here is the deal. You and I sin. Can anyone say amen? If I ask you to raise a hand, I would raise both hands and my foot because I sin. In Genesis 3, a promise is made. God preaches the first gospel. Jesus is coming. He's going to be wounded by Satan, but he's going to crush and defeat him. He's going to take away sin. He is our hope. He will be born of a woman. Look for him. Look for Jesus. 2,000 years later, God shows up to Abraham. And what does God say to Abram? Verse 7, Abram, Jesus is still coming. 2,000 years later, who shows up? Jesus comes. Matthew 1 tells us that Jesus is the descendant of whom? Abraham. Abraham's wife, Sarai, was barren and old. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the opposite. A young, a teenage virgin. Neither of them was supposed to have a baby. God allowed Sarai to miraculously conceive. God told Abraham, my son is coming. He'll be born through your family line. At Jesus' baptism, God spoke from heaven, just like he spoke to Abraham. God speaks down on Jesus and says what? This is my son. He's finally here. The promise has come to pass. He is here to forgive sin, to take sin away from people. And he begins his public ministry echoing the exact same thing that Abraham did. God speaks. Jesus uh, God speaks to Jesus as well, and he begins his ministry, which is making disciples. Jesus says to these young uh, men in Israel, come, follow me, trust me, believe me, come with me, follow me to where I will go. Even if you don't know where that is, drop your nets, leave behind your family, your home, leave everything and trust me. And he begins his ministry just as Abraham as God commissioned Abraham. Through the course of the life of Jesus, he will continue to preach and teach that he is the promised Messiah, Savior from the Old Testament. In John chapter 8, you've got to look at this later, the religious leader, the Bible teachers of the day come to Jesus and they want to argue about who are the real children of Abraham. Big debate, big fight. The promise was given that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the nations of the earth and have a privileged place with God. And they say, we are the privileged children of Abraham because he is our father. And Jesus literally says to them, John 8, no, your father is the devil. Whoa. Just let that sink in for a second. They say, Explain. The Bible says that all who descend from Abram are blessed and in relationship with God. And he said that if Abram was your father, you would act like him. Abram, tr Abram trusted me, and you don't. You don't act like him at all. And they said, are you then greater than Abraham? And he says, yes. He longed for my day. He longed to meet me. Are you claiming to be the son of God? Jesus, yes. Before Abraham was, I was. The same sacred name for God, Yahweh, that was spoken by God through the burning bush to Moses, who is the author of Genesis. In Exodus 13, 14 says, in Exodus 13, 14, and they say to Jesus, that's blasphemy. This man says he's God. God comes down, appears in Shechem. Evil, dark place. God comes down again as the Lord Jesus and appears among the sick, wicked sinners of the earth. God called them in the days of Abraham to grab his hand, to trust him, to walk by faith, to believe in him. And Jesus does the same thing because Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same yesterday, today, forever. 
You cannot be that God those guys say to Jesus. They pick up stones to murder him for blasphemy, and Jesus escapes. And some time later, Jesus finally allows himself to be betrayed and killed. It's not just the Jews who kill him. Acts 4 says that it was the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews. It was everyone. Isaiah said that the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That's all of us. We all murdered Jesus. And Jesus goes to the cross and he dies to deal with the sin problem. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus takes my sin, your sin, upon himself. And he dies a brutal substitute's death, paying for our penalty in our place. And he gives us gracious forgiveness. He takes us by the hand. He walks us through a life journey of faith just like he did with Abram. And Abram was promised that one day he would receive this great land and that it would be his home. Hebrews says that Abram was thinking that it was a physical land. Abram journeyed throughout the course of his life and never got to the promised land. And you and I are promised an even greater land of promise, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You and I will journey throughout the course of our lives, never finding a place here on earth that fully satisfies. Because Jesus says that this is a kingdom, his is a kingdom that will not be built by human hands, but by him as a gift, just as creation was in the beginning. You and I will inherit this great land of promise. Those of us who love and trust Jesus, as it says, in that day, there will also be another book that will be open. Not the book of Genesis, but the book of life. And as the book of Genesis, we will see a genealogy of all the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Not by birth, but by new birth, by faith. Because we believed in Jesus as he believed in God. Those names will be read. Those who have trusted and believed in Christ. To those names to whom Jesus has been their blessing and those who Jesus has found and called from all the nations of the earth. Those whom Jesus has died for and dealt with their sin problem. And their lives were all about calling on his name, building altars, and worshiping him. So listen, church, this story is all about Jesus. And our lives should be all about Jesus. We are here simply today to call on his name, to make a big deal about who he is, to trust him by faith, to close our eyes, to believe in him, to go on this life and faith journey with him, to be blessed, to be a blessing, and to bring order into the chaos, to go into those dark places of our world and to light up the darkness and to show people the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is still calling us today. Just as he did Abram, he is still speaking to us today to partner with him, to bring, like I said, order into chaos, to bring justice into injustice, to display his beauty, to bring flourishing to the people around us, to be a people of lavish hospitality, to be a people of provocative friendships. That is cool. Just as God spoke to Abraham, listen, God is speaking to you today. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? Will you walk with him? And will you go as Abraham went and make the name of God great? And if you're not a Christian today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give him your sin. Trust him. Believe him. And just like Abraham was, you will be transformed. Again, church, he was this simple, ordinary, humble dude in a simple place that had a bad uh, family of origin, bad background, terrible start to life. And God grabbed a hold of him, transformed him. And we will forever know him as a man of faith. And it all begins simply with one day turning from sin and trusting Jesus. God did that for Abraham. He can do that for you. So let's partner with God today, church, and go with God to bring order into the chaos of our world. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, what great hope I have that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have this fantastic pedigree, great start to life. And you come, you grab a hold of us, and you transform us. I pray that you would do that today, God, again. There are people in this very room who are experiencing a lot of messiness, a lot of chaos. Would you come, meet them, grab a hold of them, and change their lives, transform their world. Give them faith to believe and to trust you to go on this fantastic journey with you, God. And then help us, God, to be people who who go into the dark places of our world by faith, and bring you, the king, into those places. Help us to be people who light up the darkness. Help us to be people who bring flourishing into uh, where there is death and decay. Help us to be people who bring justice to injustice. Help us to be people who display the beauty of our great God. Help us to do these things so that your name would be known and be made famous and you would be exalted and glorified and that people would come to know you. Help us to be a disciple-making people just as Abraham was, just as Jesus was, Lord. You called them, you are calling us, and Lord, help us to say, yes, we trust you. Meet your people today, God. As we transition now, Lord, would you uh, do the work that is only in your hands to do? Convict people, Lord. Would you show us those things in our lives that need you, those messy things that we have to turn over to you, God, those places where we are hurting and that where there is brokenness and darkness, God, and may you come into those places and transform and change those things and bring healing and restoration and, and, uh, and, and would you mend those things that need your mending. So meet us now, God, as we tra- uh, transition but may you continue to be exalted and glorified this morning. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to respond to the word of God with worship. We're going to do as Abraham did. What is the only thing we can do to the great news of Jesus? We've got to sing. We've got to celebrate. We've got to stand up and clap and shout and say that God is great, that there is none like him. So I encourage you to do that. Second, we're going to also celebrate communion. We're going to remember that this is what Jesus has done for us. His body was broken. His blood was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. That too is worthy of worship and celebration. So as you can come at any time during the music, grab the elements, go back to your uh, seat, and do business with God before you take communion. Pray as individuals, as couples, as friends, as families, as small groups. Uh, anywhere in the gathering space. And then we're going to sing some more. Okay, moms, dads, you can now uh, go grab your kids at Tab Kids. And there is also uh, giving boxes along the back wall. Your giving is also an act of worship. God gives to us so we can be a blessing. Your gifts, your financial giving helps us to continue to share the gospel, to do gospel work in Burien and in this community. So your giving is an act of worship, church. But let's respond with singing, with communion, with giving, with prayer, and uh, let's celebrate this great God. Let's stand and let's worship.